better. Is that okay? But no, thank you. Sorry about that. Has anybody um, owned the game Buckaroo? Yeah. I wish I had. I wish I had. But the point of the game was to go as far as you could, keep putting on, uh, laying on this donkey as much junk and baggage as you can, without it kicking it, uh, kicking it off, and then you'd obviously lose. Anybody played the game? What's the time, Mr. Wolf? That's another, that's another fun game where you have to test your nerve. That you go as far as you can to get... Actually, I don't know what the actual point was. You know, you get as far as you can, and they just turn around and chase you back anyway. I don't know. Was it that you could get to the end? Maybe that was it. But it was to go as far as you could. How far can I go and push it? How many things can I lay on this buckaroo without it kicking off? Well, I had to think about this title... How far can I go? So I left prayer off, but I thought, what does it mean to, to say, how far can I go? Well, I came up with four points, which is not absolute or not authoritative, but I thought it's helpful as we look through the passage today to be able to answer when we come to look at um, Abraham and how far he went. Well, firstly, we've got... Uh, is that Okay, just the first point. What compels you? And how, how much do you want it? That's a factor that um, affects how far I go. What compels you and how much you want it? We've heard about um, Africa already, but there are many villages in Africa, aren't there, where there is no water, and people will go and find water from a well some uh, miles off. What compels them is need, necessity. Had the well been moved further away, they would go further. How far would they go? They will go as far as it takes to get the water. What compels you and how much you want it affects how far we go. The second one was what or who you're approaching. And especially in relation to who you are. It may make you think twice. I think you would find it more comfortable approaching your peers rather than approaching the President of the United States. Because of your position before him, you know. And it makes a difference. I don't, I'm not too sure if I want to do that. However, I'm quite happy to hang out with my friends. Thirdly, what consequences are there? Are there any risks involved if I go far? Well, if you're loading up the donkey in Buckaroo, you know you're taking a risk. At any moment, that donkey's going to kick out. And finally, it depends on how far you're allowed to go. So no matter how far you might want to go or dare to go, there may come across a line which you cannot cross, or a wall that isn't, is insurpassable. So those are those four points. We're going to look at those as we look through Genesis 18. Because today's title is, How Far Can I Go in Prayer? So we're going to take a look at a particular episode in the life of Abraham, where he could well have asked that question of him himself. And we'll bear in mind these four factors. Well, we find that there's a man called Abraham. He's been called by God out of his homeland and taken west. And he has been uh, obeying God in his promises. And that's what God has done. He's repeatedly promised to Abraham that by doing so, he's going to make him a great nation. And through him, the, uh, the world will be blessed. However, he is an old man, or he becomes an old man. And he is without a, a son or an heir. 
So he is puzzled why, how this is possible. How will he become a great nation if he hasn't got a child? But he is promised not only to be a great nation, but he's specifically promised that he will have a son. And that will be through his wife, Sarah. Well, he's also come out, uh, come out and he has a nephew with him. And so, much, uh, so, so blessed were they by God that they had too much um, cattle and livestock and people with them to actually occupy one land. And so they came a time where uh, they made a decision to split, to divide. And uh, Lot, his nephew and his wife, they, they went to a place called Sodom. There's some lush valley plains in which they thought they would like to go. So that's where we have got to. You see, he has put faith in God, <clears throat> leaving his home and his comforts, and he has literally put his life in God's hands. He is a man fully committed to God, taking God at his word. A man who will be remembered for his faith. You see, he is a man who has invested his whole life in the strength of what God has revealed to him about himself and the future. And so as we who have put our faith in Jesus, we can relate to Abraham. We can stand in his shoes, as it were. To follow Jesus is nothing less than to leave your old life behind and to wholeheartedly surrender your new life into the hands of God. Well, we come to a point in chapter 18 where Abraham receives three visitors. Um, if you have your Bibles, please open them. We're just going to look at uh, verse 1 just to get the setting. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and he bowed low to the ground. Well, we find out that these two messengers, well, these three, these three people, are made of two messengers, or angels, and the other, the Lord. And they were to deliver a message to Sarah to reiterate that promise that she will have a son, one of the promises God had made. And so this message is safely delivered, and the two angels are just about to leave to go down to Sodom to assess the wickedness of the town. But then we have verses 17 to 19, which are really helpful to us, and which God has written for our benefit. See, he introduces us to his own thoughts. Verse 17. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him, to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring Abraham what he has promised him. See, God debates whether he should reveal his intentions regarding Sodom, but not for, our, not for his benefit. He doesn't debate um, within himself, but it's for our benefit, you see. The reasons he give, gives to reveal his plans are based upon the promise he has given to Abraham, that he will be a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. And this is what we're told in verse 18. And verse 19 then tells us why that fact that he'll be, uh, bless, uh, be a great nation and bless the earth should make a difference. Well, working, 
have a look at verse 19, and working backwards, we see that blessing is promised through the obedience of his children to keep the way of the Lord. That's what it says. He's done this so that they may keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. This is what they're commanded to do. So working back a step, therefore, to teach or to command his children this, he must himself understand the way of the Lord. What it means, for uh, what does righteousness and justice mean? And that enables him, therefore, so that Abraham can command his children after he has learned. See, God's actions towards Sodom and the involvement of Abraham will demonstrate and teach these very attributes of a holy God, his righteousness and his justice. And so God involves him. And as he teaches Abraham, we're also learning. See, God's righteousness and justice are immediately on display in the preceding verses to our, our um, passage that we're looking at today. You see, God is not disposed to ad hoc, indiscriminate acts of fiery judgment. <laughs> you see, instead, we see in verse 20 and 21 how he weighs up the accusations against Sodom by coming down and evaluating the evidence firsthand. God does not sit on a cloud throwing thunderbolts for fun. But Abraham acknowledges, in verse 25, that God's justice is fair and right. And his judgments are far more sounder than any earthly court of law. If there is any guilt, it is measured and judged absolutely. And if there is innocence, he will know. You see, this is the point. It is this very foundation of God's character on which Abraham um, bases his appeal. Verse 25 says, Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Is prayer monologue or dialogue? Is prayer just about us speaking to God? Or is there anything about prayer that it should be a two-way kind of thing? You know, we've seen that it is God's intention that he is to educate Abraham about himself. See, if prayer is monologue, we would never learn. You know, since what child would learn from a teacher if he, all he did all day was keep speaking to the teacher and not listening to the teacher, um, him or herself? See, God wanted to instruct Abraham by disclosing his thoughts and engaging him in dialogue. Learning does not come by prayer alone. But through prayer, the knowledge of God becomes very personal. Speaking into our own situations and our own lives and our own thoughts. Meaning comes through application. You know, we can be told an apple tastes sweet. But unless we take a bit and taste it, experience it for ourselves, knowing about it is neither fully understood or even particularly relevant to me. If I'm never going to taste an apple, well, what's the point in knowing if it tastes sweet? Well, as Christians, we do not sit in a classroom and become educated in a God that way. The knowledge of God is practical. That is, what we say, or what we know, doesn't stay in a bubble in our heads, but is understood through the things that happen to us 
and what we experience. Theology. I'm not going to dust it off because it's not a dusty subject. Theology is the knowledge of God. And it's not meant to be an academic subject. Do not be scared of that word. But what we know of God through Scripture is to be applied and wrestled with the immediate, in the immediate context of our own lives. In the choices we take, the actions we make, but also in prayer. See, in prayer, we go to the one we know. In prayer, we are able to speak to the one we know about. In prayer, our personal situations and the situations of others are worked out as we pour our hearts and our minds out to God and give ourselves over to the Lord with time to listen. And see, this is exactly what is going on in verses 23 to 32. Excuse me. Let's have a look at verse 22. It says, The men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord, giving a little moment to reflect on the implications of this solemn errand of the angels, the impending doom of the city. Well, Abraham was horrified. He was horrified at the prospect that the wickedness of others, and because of that, the righteous should perish. Verse 23 shows us his dilemma. Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? We're looking forward and seeing what happens in the next chapter. Don't do it now, but maybe later. I think, though, although there may well have been concern for the righteous in general, I think Abraham had in mind his nephew Lot and his family. We looked at how far you go, uh, how far you go depends on what compels you and to how much you want it. Is it worth it? Are you bothered? Well, there are two huge factors here that this story causes Abraham's tenaciousness, reflecting on how far he was willing to go. Firstly, there is a threat to his family. There aren't any uh, many earthly things other than your concern for your family, the desire to protect your own family that is greater. And secondly, God's character is under the spotlight. It remains to be seen that the judge of all the earth will do right. For to God not to be shown um, to be righteous, or a righteous judge, would prove disastrous for all humanity, let alone for Abraham. For God would simply cease to be God. If he didn't do right, then we have a God that no one can trust. No future would be certain. We couldn't rest. Retribution, vigilantism, would reign as we carry out our own justice according to our own values because there would be no absolute values, no moral sta- absolute moral standard. The basis of faith and the fabric of society would simply fall apart. Abraham had given everything on the fact that the opposite is true, that God 
is a God of absolute righteousness and perfect justice. His whole life depended on it. So it's not unclear then, is it, that why Abraham pushes in agony of spirit to understand and to reconcile the character of God with what is going to be, uh, what is promised to happen. Would God's justice mean that the guilt of many was going to outweigh the innocence of a few? Was that fair? Was it, going, was it right? Abraham is compelled to go far in prayer. He has compulsion. And so he begins to intercede for others. And you see the makeup of Abraham's prayer too. He starts, will you? And he keeps asking, what if only? He is keen himself to receive an answer from God. These what if questions aren't rhetorical. They demand an answer from the Lord. And that just got me thinking, how often do we speak at God without giving time or giving him opportunity to respond? You know, we give God thanks, don't we? Which is right and good. We present our requests to God, which are equally good and sound. But how often do we ask questions, in particular questions about our current situations that require God to give an answer? Questions about guidance. Or perhaps wanting greater understanding as Abraham is. How often do we rely on God to open and shut doors when we seek uh, to do what God wants us to do? When sometimes perhaps, I'm just saying sometimes, perhaps if we give time to listen to God, we'd know which door to take without having to wait for the others to close in our face. Should we expect to solely rely on circumstances to know the answer of our prayers? We have said that prayer is a dialogue which requires us to listen. But it also means that God should ex- uh, we should expect God to speak. Abraham wants answers. He wants a dialogue. But our title for today is, How Far Can I Go in Prayer? What do we learn from Abraham? Well, we've covered that he certainly has cause to go very far. We've seen what's at stake. But there are other factors to consider. Point two and three there. What or who are you approaching? And what the consequences are? They say familiarity breeds contempt. And it's true, isn't it? That if you start having drinks with your boss... In the evenings, that you'll turn up to work the next morning and you'll be on first name terms. But that'll soon, uh, soon go uh, and make its way to just get walking into your boss's office without knocking. There is a time when familiarity can cause and breed contempt. You can overstep the mark forgetting who you are into, uh, in relation to who you're approaching. Well, also, unfamiliarity breeds contempt, doesn't it? Not knowing God has led many people to hold the Christian God in contempt. They know bits, but they don't know God. And so the God that they think, they hold him in contempt because he is a God of fire and brimstone. He is a God which we were describing that I hoped wouldn't be the case, but people hold him that way. In terms of our relationship with God, we need to be aware 
of the dangers that familiarity brings. But know that unfamiliarity is pretty useless to form a right view of God. We need to know who we are approaching. And Abraham starts from what he knows about God. Rather than form his understanding of God through the events. That's really important to, uh, to grasp. We start from the word of God and what it says about God. Rather than think about what we know about God through what happens. Because we'll come up with the wrong answer. And Abraham does this. And we must do likewise. So there's no surprise then. Starting with what he knows about God. But it leads to that dilemma in verse 23. Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Is the fate of a few righteous people going to determine the majority, uh, what happens to the majority, uh, by the majority of the wicked? Well, he's not the only character in the Bible that is afflicted with these kind of dilemmas. There's a man called Job. The whole book is dedicated to his name. Well, you see, Job pushes to understand and reconcile what he knows about the God with what was happening in his life. Well, in the end, Job is counted as speaking rightly uh, to God and about him, even though it may appear at times that he's guilty of overstepping the mark and forgetting who he was addressing. Both Job and Abraham demonstrate great humility, great humility, but great boldness too, as if talking to a friend. What Abraham knows about God also determines how he enters into this discourse and, how he, and it shapes how he prays. Familiarity in this case has not bred contempt. Verse 27, he says this, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. You see, he recognizes his creatureliness, but he is made from dust. He is not bringing an argument to God. He has no position of authority to argue from. He is but dust and ashes. He is not bargaining with God either. See, what creature can give to his creator to persuade or to ask? Now, we have a man who is coming to God, recognizing that he is made of dust and ashes, desperate to reconcile his conflicting thoughts, and comes before him in humility, and dependent on God's grace. James 4, uh, chapter 4 says, Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. God increases the distance that we can go in prayer if we show humility. Do we ever think about what goes on when we pray? See, prayers are offered before the throne, the seat of power and authority. They rise up, to the judge of all the earth. In 2009, a judge got fed up with repeated interruptions from a robbery suspect. So he ordered, to, uh, ordered the deputy to put duct tape over the defendant's mouth to shut him up. Municipal Court Judge Stephen Belden says the, ta uh, the taping was the best way to restore order at a hearing for 51-year-old Harry Brown of Canton after the defendant argued with dis, uh, after sorry after the defendant argued with with despite being ordered to be quiet brown complained that his court appointed attorney wasn't prepared to, and angered the judge 
in Canton, Ohio, US with his interruptions. After a warning, the judge told the bailiff to tape Brown's mouth shut. When the tape was removed, the defendant said the judge wasn't being respectful. The judge ended the hearing and sent the case to a grand jury. Well, Wiki's definition of contempt of court is this. It is court order in which the context of a court trial or hearing declares a person or organization to have disobeyed or been disre disrespectful in the court's authority. Whether it's Abraham speaking to the Lord or when we are praying, we are speaking to the judge of all the earth, to the Lord who now sits on his throne in all authority. How far can I go in prayer without being held in contempt of his court? Well, we've seen how far I go depends on the consequences. What, are, what risks are we taking? Well, Abraham took the risk of angering God. You see, it's clear that Abraham is being cautious, pleading the grace and patience of God to allow him to speak in such a way. Verse 30 says, O Lord, uh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Verse 32 repeats that. He says, O let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again but once. He knows who he's speaking to. Yet so desperate was Abraham to know that he was persistent to the point of fearing invoking God's anger because he was aware that he was testing or questioning God's righteousness. I don't know about you, but I don't like to be questioned. I get a little annoyed if somebody keeps asking me, are you sure? You know, they're obviously doubting my ability. Sometimes they might doubt my character. And that gets me riled up. Yet here is almighty God allowing someone who is but dust and ashes to wrestle through the issue concerning his character. What patience our Lord shows us. It shows us that he is a God who is concerned for his children, that they may know him, that they may feel free to approach him with concerns without necessarily having got everything sorted. Well, it's not surprising then that Abraham keep, kept asking the Lord not to be angry because he asked six times. Enough to drive anyone potty, don't you think? But he's clearly not satisfied with uh, that the question of whether the judge of all the earth will do right. It was only until God promised to withhold judgment for the sake of a handful of people did the, final, uh, did the dialogue finally end. He persisted, and there was an earnestness about his prayer. The next week, Ivor's going to be speaking uh, on an, another aspect of prayer. They'd be looking at Genesis, when Jacob wrestles with God. And in Genesis 32, it says, I will not let you go until you bless me. I will not let you go until you bless me. It was necessary for Abraham to be reassured. Abraham was meant to learn so that he'll be able to pass on this knowledge of the Lord to his children and to his household. God showed that he was righteous and just. Through prayer, Abraham discovers that God is patient and merciful, willing to save rather than to punish Regardless of the outcome of whether or not Sodom would be destroyed, God's character is already vindicated through this prayer. And so it is the Lord who ends the dialogue. Abraham had pushed far in prayer and had come out of it 
with all that he needed. God didn't end the discourse only to leave Abraham still in suspense. And this answers our fourth factor. How far can I go? Depends on how far you're allowed to go. You see, Abraham didn't chase after God, after the Lord, after he left. He was satisfied that the judge of all the earth would do right. It says that Abraham went back to his place. Prayers that are to be fragrant to God are not those that are formed nicely. They're not those in which cram in as much theology and scripture as they can. Because whose benefit is that for? The sweetest prayer is is the earnest dialogue of a child and a father. Someone who seeks his face, who wants to know him. They are prayers in which we demonstrate our confidence in Christ to approach, yet humility in heart to stand before a holy God and not let him go until he blesses us with reassurance. We are to keep going in prayer as far as we can, far as, we allow, uh, as God allows us, until we receive assurance from the Lord. Verse 33. And the Lord went his way, and when he had finished speaking to Abraham, Abraham returned to his place. It's an interesting point to note, isn't it? That Abraham did the lion's share of listening. He says the Lord went his way after speaking to Abraham. And this was prayer. The Lord brought it to a close, but also seeing, but also uh, see that at the beginning, it's the Lord who allows Abraham opportunity to engage him in prayer. Verse 22, the men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, see, discourse, uh, disclosures about future events is an invitation for intercession. God says, this is what will happen. Now talk with me. The real question, therefore, is not how far can I go, it's but how far will I go in prayer. We live in another era than Abraham. The Lord Jesus Christ has since come down, and in doing so has revealed more about his Father, about his justice and righteousness, and has disclosed to all, to everyone, the future plans of his Father and the role of the church in them. God didn't come down to consume the wicked in judgment, those who had rejected him, but because of, not 50, not even 10, but for the sake of one righteous person, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ himself, so that many would be able to escape the similar fate of Sodom. The Lord will come down once more, and he will come this time to judge the whole earth. Matthew 11 says this, Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon. Um, They would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it would be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. 
See, God has revealed his future plans to us. Just as he did to Abraham. And in the very same way, he invites us to intercede for those lies which lie in a very precarious position. How then should we be praying? How far should we go in prayer? Well, Abraham is the model of intercession for others. You know, we, that is the church, are the continuation and the channel through which God has chosen to bless the earth in Jesus Christ. And the key to moving God to work is prayer. We are, as we look to reach out to tell people about Jesus, we need to be a praying people, going far in prayer. Ronald Dunn quotes this, Prayer is the warfare. Evangelism is not the attempt to win the battle. It is the mopping up operation. See, prayer is the warfare. It's not easy. Sometimes it looks like the enemy is winning. And so prayer becomes the battleground, doesn't it? Christians know the glorious and victorious outcome of the battle. We know that's secure. That is what we know. So let's wrestle with that truth as we come to God in prayer. But also, we should wrestle in all areas of our life in prayer. What we know of God through Scripture is to be applied and wrestled within the immediate context of our own lives, in the choices and in the actions we take, but also in prayer. In prayer, we know to go to the one that we know of. In prayer, we are able to speak to the one we know about. In prayer, our personal situations and the situations of others are worked out as we pour our hearts out and give ourselves time to listen. As we spend time with God, we should expect to learn more about God. And as we do so, we shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't keep this to ourselves because the command he gave to Abraham that he may command his children and give his, and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice is applicable to us too. It wasn't just a one-generational thing for Abraham, but it was generation after generation after generation. And I don't know about you, but I haven't seen Abraham around recently. But I've seen you guys. I've seen myself. We must testify and teach the goodness of God that, that the blessing of Jesus Christ is for the world and that they may receive him. How far can I go in prayer? Well, it depends. What compels you? And how much do you want it? Is it worth it? Can you be bothered about it? Secondly, what or who are you approaching? Does it make you think twice? How does it shape how you pray? What are the consequences of doing this? Is there any risk? And then it also depends on how far you're allowed to go. Having been briefly shown the liberty that has afforded us and the freedom that we can go to God in prayer and that God invites us to pray by revealing his plans to us. And as he stands next to us now, as he did with Abraham, just waiting for us to engage him in, in dialogue. You see, the real question to ask is, is not how far can I go, but how far will I go?
going to stand to sing um, our final song. And all that I am, sorry, I forgot the title. that I am, I lay before you, all I possess, Lord, I confess, is nothing without you, Saviour and King, I now enthrone sacrifice to you. Lord, be the strength within my weakness, be the supply in every need, that I may prove your promises to me, faithful and true in word and deed. All that I am, 